your Bibles as we finish up Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is one of those books, you know, when you study the Old Testament, it seems like there's, you know, kind of the, the crux of most books. If you're in the book of Isaiah, uh, it really comes in chapters 51, 52, but the whole book is awesome. The book of Daniel just kind of doesn't stop. It just kind of the whole thing is pretty much end to end, just these amazing uh, works that Daniel accomplishes, these things that God uses him for, and these incredible lessons uh, that are there for the gleaning. And tonight is certainly no different. As we finish up chapter 5, we'll pick up and reread verse 17, then we'll move on and finish the chapter. But I've entitled this, Be Careful What You Ask For. And if you remember last time, King Belshazzar has now asked for the temple articles, the, the, the very things that were inside of the temple that were used for the worship of the Lord, that were designed by God. Remember when the tabernacle was in the wilderness, uh, that the Lord had told them how he was to be worshipped, and that was carried over into the temple. And as, as Jerusalem was sacked and as the Jewish people were taken into captivity, as I shared with you last time, Daniel's now been in captivity for 65 years. He is an 81-year-old man, and he's still being used of the Lord in a very, very powerful way. His life from start to finish, so far as the Bible records it, is just this, this guy who never, ever seems to doubt what God's going to do. And he trusts in the promises of God. And one of the things that's hard for us in our modern world is we see the world kind of going off in this, this pattern of godlessness and heading towards what we know ultimately, because your Bible tells you so, will be a disaster of God-sized proportions that will ultimately end up with the church being taken out and raptured with a time uh, that we're going to be studying in some detail as we go on a little further in the book of Daniel, that time of tribulation where God miraculously is going to save the Jewish people. And as we look at our world today, we have just yesterday, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is, is being pushed and, and saying, you know, we can't wait any longer. Iran brings together these 120 nations that are kind of unaligned uh, in the entire world. And, and as he brings those nations together there in Iran, one of the chief things that comes out of it is a technology agreement with North Korea. And we know that North Korea already possesses long-range ballistic missiles. They already possess nuclear weapons. They already have the capacity to build nuclear triggers and all of those things. And here Iran is threatened over and over and over again that they're, if they get atomic weapons that they would uh, wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And God's word declares, as we saw last time, that God's chosen people are God's chosen people. And no matter what the kingdoms of this earth say, God is going to rescue his people. And he's going to do it in his land. And so as we see all those things happening, and, and yet God doesn't rapture the church yet. God hasn't come back. Jesus has not returned to earth. And, and sometimes we, we get in that mindset, well, you know, maybe that was just symbolic. Maybe it was just a, you know, a warning. Maybe it was meant to kind of stimulate us some way. Be careful what you ask for. 
because God's word is true and God won't be mocked. And whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And, and as that happens, as that happens, as God word, God's word unfolds before us, um, we actually know what the world is going to look like in the last days. And, and we see here that it is in fact God who controls kings and God who controls kingdoms. And even though the king that is now king, Belshazzar, is a godless king, God's allowed him to exist. God has given him, in essence, a, a specific covering uh, that's allowed him to be the king of Babylon. But we're going to find tonight that when God's done, God's done. When God is finished, God is finished. When mankind steps over that line and says, we don't want you anymore, we don't desire for your things anymore, we don't really care what your word says, we're going to do it our way. Matter of fact, we're going to defame those things that you call holy. We're going to spit, in essence, on the grace of God. When man crosses that line, whether we as individuals or nations do it collectively, there is a time when God will say, enough is enough. I'm done. We find that in this passage tonight. And the reason I emphasize this for you is quite plain. I, I think we're in a time in world history, we are certainly in a time in this nation's history, where we're about to cross a line that's never been crossed before. We have already crossed the line to where there are more people living together than married. We are already debating things that God's Word plainly talks about in, in, in absolute detail, such as what, where does homosexuality fit in the world? Well, from God's perspective, it's a sin just like adultery. It's a sin just, just like murder. It is a sin, and yet we're actually contemplating now to make it normative. That it's something that we're going to be okay with as a nation. We're, we're also debating whether it should be a woman's right to choose whether she's able to kill an unborn child again. We're debating things that God holds a very particular viewpoint on. He's already spoken on them. He has already told us what his plans are for humankind. And when you reach that place in a culture's history to where God becomes irrelevant, then I believe that culture will soon disappear. And the course of human history says 100% of the time that that is true. When a nation has turned its back on God, when a nation refuses to repent, when God has given sufficient time for that country, that nation, that king, that kingdom to turn away from that which is blasphemous to God and that, that nation, that king, that kingdom chooses to simply, I'm going to do whatever I want and furthermore, I'm going to spit on you, God, specifically. The time is close to up. And I would say that that is where we are as a nation. Now, am I predicting that next week that's going to happen? No. Our embassy in Libya. We liberated Libya. Do you remember that? We, we sent American planes, American personnel. We did not mount a ground campaign, but we supported one and liberated Libya. And yet 
the Muslim Brotherhood, just like in in Egypt just a few days ago, which attacked our embassy there, overtook the embassy. First time in Egypt's history that's happened. Now they go into our embassy in Libya, attack there, and kill our ambassador. And we're going, well, you know, we provoked you. We're not taking that stand anymore. We're not saying enough's enough. We're not saying, here's our God, and we will worship him. And all of what we do bears witness to that. We're trying to have as minimal amount of God in our public square as we possibly can. I think it's a scary place to be. It did not go well for Babylon. I do not believe God's character has changed. And consequently, we need to be careful what we ask for. We today, and definitely Belshazzar then, and everyone that's lived since, and anyone that will live in the future before the Lord returns, better be careful what you ask for. Because God will put up with it for so long, and when he says it's over, it's over, period. And no one can reverse it. Would you pray with me? Father God, tonight as we once again turn our attention to your word, this amazing book, Lord, the story of a man who stood firm and stood fast in the face of great adversity. Lord, a man whose life we should want to emulate, one who was afraid of no one or no thing, no power, no king, no kingdom, And, Lord, the the friends that were around him were of the same character, brave enough to stand at a time of difficulty. And we pray that, God, as you speak to us tonight through your word, that that we would be so bold. Lord, not not to be obnoxious. Lord, not to simply be different. But, Lord, to be different for a purpose. Lord, our nation needs revival. We pray for revival in our land. God, we pray for revival in this community. We pray that you'd stir up the hearts of people who know you, who have called you by name to actually walk for you, to live for you, to stand for you. And God, as we study, we pray that you would bless us, help us to retain what we hear that's of you. Pray that you would use this time, God, to encourage us and strengthen us. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In verse 17 here in Daniel 5, And then Daniel answered the, and said to the king, We know what the king's already done. He's asked for the temple instruments, those things. He's actually got in his, in his chamber at this time the lampstand that was inside of the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's using it to party by. That's a messed up world. He said, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. And yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And so Daniel is now going to give a sermon, a little mini sermon, if you will, uh, to Belshazzar. And he's going to use someone uh, whose life Belshazzar knew well. And I want to point out to you that this is where the gospel really meets the road. It's you using what is in your life and is available to you in the lives of others to explain what God wants to say to someone. You're being relevant, as we saw on Sunday. We want to be to the Jews, Jews, to the Greeks, Greeks, 
uh, to those with the law as with the law, to those without the law, without the law, we want to be relevant. And no better way to be relevant than to use the life of his own father. So your dad knew better than this. Notice what he says now in verse 18. O king, the most high God, he says, the God that your father absolutely knew to be the God above all gods, the one to whom your father confessed, the one that your father also defied initially, and yet that same God your father eventually bowed to. O king, the most high God. There's always only been one most high God. And when our forefathers landed on the shores of this great nation, there was one most high God. They came in a couple of different forms. There were certainly Quakers. There were certainly Puritans. There were Danbury Baptists. But they believed in one most high God. And every single thing that was done from point one to where we are today is founded in that simple tenet that there was one most high God to whom all people ultimately must bow. To nature and nature's God, all men created equal by their creator. Understood. Perhaps worship in a little bit different way amongst those varying groups, but there was an understanding. And from there, the nation itself progressed towards that being the center, that being the core, that being how we express ourselves in a general sense. Not everyone in everything, and certainly not in every way, but in a general sense. And I believe this is why the hand of God has been on America. The hand of God remains on people who serve the Lord. The hand of God is not on people who curse the Lord. It is not too difficult to understand. And so long as there is a most high God, and that most high God, in a general sense, is honored amongst the people, then God honors that people. And so he says in this sermon, O King, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. God himself gave that to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, previous to that time, a heathen king, a conqueror. But God says, when you change your ways, when you repent, and when you honor me, I will give you a kingdom. Paul would go on to write in Romans chapter 13 that there is no government, period, but that which is common amongst peoples and that God has given himself. Basically, the context of that chapter is is that God's established governments. He's the one that's placed kings in power and presidents in power and senates in power. 
and houses of representatives in power and mayors in power and governors in power. They may think that they have it all together, but ultimately God is still the Most High God. And nobody anywhere, anytime has ever existed apart from God being the Most High God. And if that person who is under the power of the Most High God also honors the Most High God, then God Himself gives the kingdom. But when that person dishonors the Most High God, God says, you can have what you've asked for. I will give you what you desire. I won't fight with you over that initially. I'm going to let choice be your choice. And so Nebuchadnezzar is used as an example here. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all the people, the nations, the languages, trembled and feared before him. And whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit hardened with pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Do you get the picture? So long as there was an honor of the Most High God, the kingdom stood. But once the worship of the Lord became something that was secondary, subsequent, unnecessary, or even put aside, then God said, that's enough. I'll let you have what you've asked for. If you don't want me involved, I will let you have exactly what you've asked for. And it's not me. And then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart made like a wild beast. His dwelling was as wild donkeys. And they fed him grass like oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven. Till he knew again that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. And where this comes to play for us is really most visible in the life of the nation Israel in its choosing of King Saul. God wanted to govern the nation Israel. But they said, you know what, we want a king. We want a big, strong, strapping, handsome, awesome, kingly king. We don't want David. When mankind makes its choices, God honors the choices, but be careful what you choose. Because ultimately, God is still in charge. And it's amazing how many times in our own personal lives, because of what we have chosen, we suffer through the consequences of not remembering that there is a Most High God who governs the affairs of men. Always. Just because God has chosen not to act, just because God has been merciful or he has been gracious, just because he has chosen to simply not mete out punishment or justice or judgment, doesn't mean God doesn't care or doesn't see. And that's what's in view here. You see, this is a son of a guy who got it. And this is a very scary thing for us as parents. This is why it's so important that we live our lives 
as Christian moms and dads, husbands and wives, before our kids, and above all things, we present the kingdom of God to our kids. And we live the kingdom of God to our kids. Because there's enough influence on the outside that if we do not take that stand, then the world creeps in. And I believe that's not only what happens in a lot of families, but I believe it's what's happening in our nation. When the church remains silent, when we no longer say, you know what, this isn't about hate, it's not about hurt, this is not about destroying someone, this is not about taking away civil rights, this is about a pure, plain, simple truth. God governs the affairs of man, and thus has said the Lord, And this is what he wants from us. And because I'm a Christian, and because I know what God's word says, and because I'm not going to simply change what it says because pseudoscience has come up with some other idea on the matter, I'm going to trust the word of the Lord. I am going to stand for God at all times. Because God governs the affairs of men. He appoints kings, and he appoints kingdoms. And he goes on now, But you, his son. What a crazy, sad story this is. But you, his son. You, the one who was around when your father Nebuchadnezzar got all of the lessons that we've already seen in the book of Daniel. Amen? high degree of likelihood because of the age of Belshazzar that he was at least around when those three young men stood up in the crowd of a couple of million and says, we're not bowing to the golden image. Undoubtedly had first-hand experience from his parents. You know what, son? I stood against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I stood against the Most High God, and it did not go well for me. But I repented, and I relented, and God was gracious, and God was kind, and God saved me. That was the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar had heard that. He knew the truth, but he rejected the truth openly. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Pretty strong words. You knew the truth. Your family's heritage was was testimony to the truth. And you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you and your lords, your wives, your concubines, and you have drunk wine from them. He said, you knew who God was. You knew that he didn't put up with this stuff. You knew that your father was driven out for seven years as an ox and ate grass like a wild beast. You knew he was lycanthropic. You, you knew he was wandering around like an animal for seven years. Widely known. Didn't that affect you? 
And see, this is where you all come in. Because people knew you and people knew me when we wandered around like wild beasts until we met God. Amen? We were doing the same thing. No finger pointing here at anyone. Not at Nebuchadnezzar and really not in Belshazzar. That's how gracious God is. He says, look, turn. Repent. You don't know when your life's going to be required of you, and neither do I, and neither did he. You don't know when you've crossed over the line. He says, you brought all these things in. You drunk wine from you. had a party with the things that were designed to praise God. You've praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see and do not hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. He says, you chose the party life over the pious life. You chose to blaspheme God in spite of the evidence that he clearly was the God who he said he was. And see, your lives and my life, the life of the church, are are testimony to this very thing. When people say, oh, that, you know, that God stuff's just nonsense. Really? The cumulative total of the things that God has done in this room is staggering. And they are real. The changed lives in this room are testimony to the power of the living God. And they will forever remain that. And as we walk in this world, we are that testimony that was King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was testimony that God was who he said he was. And consequently, Nebuchadnezzar's life was changed. And here his son is saying, I don't believe it. Don't care. Don't want it. Looking back on human history, I think I'm going to be the example of the exception that will stand out in human history. That is a very dangerous place to be. When you think, or I think, or a church thinks, or a nation thinks, that we are somehow exempt from the hand of God, simply because God has chosen to be merciful for a long period of time, you are in grave, grave, grave danger. Because what ultimately happens is you begin to believe your own story. You begin to believe your own lies. That was actually the problem that Satan had before his fall. He believed his own lies. I will make my throne like the Most High God's. It's pretty much what Belshazzar has done. He says, you're praising things that do not see and do not hear and cannot know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand, the God who holds my breath in his hand, the God who holds your breath in his hand, the God who holds every breath of every human being in his hand, you will not glorify. Family of God, we have been created to glorify God. That's actually the purpose of of the creation of mankind. The mission of mankind is to spread the gospel, the good news, and make disciples of all men. That's the mission. 
Our created purpose is to bring glory. And as we bring people into the kingdom, God is most glorified in that. And as our lives are transformed and changed, God is very glorified in that. But we were created to glorify the Lord. And so here's this king who thinks he's all that. He's got it all together. He's going to be the one that finally is able to say, you know what, Christianity is nonsense. Have you not been hearing that in the news media for years now? Christians are a bunch of dolts. You know, we sit around and because we haven't got two brain cells to rub together, we need a God. And if if you had any brains at all, and if you'd been really educated, you'd understand that we happen to come come by by transforming blue-green algae over a period of you know, several million years, uh, several billion years in the created age of the earth, supposedly, 4.5 of them to be exact, according to the scientists now, that this earth has been around, 13.7, 13.9 billion years that the universe has existed, which expanded from a little seed of the universe someplace out in primordial space, and it blew up and turned into all of this order that we see around us because we are a bunch of idiots. We don't believe that. And so consequently, we need a God. Now unfortunately, the guys who believe that we came from nothing by random chance processes over billions of years now realize they need one too, except they want to call him E.T., they believe there's got to be some alien life form that brought the seed of mankind here to this earth because they know it couldn't happen by random chance processes. And so that creeps into our educational system. It becomes the source, in essence, the core religion to mankind. Humanism is the religion that most people now practice. We're the masters of our destiny. What the world says, we don't need you, God. My Bible says there is one God who governs the affairs of man, and he has the very breath of life of every human being in his hand. And that we were created to glorify God. And if you choose not to believe that, then you're in Belshazzar's camp. If you say, I think God's irrelevant, you're in Belshazzar's camp. If you say, if there is a God, he's really only a philosophical bent, then you're in Belshazzar's camp. If you say, God has a place, but not a preeminent place, you're in Belshazzar's camp. When God is not the Most High God who governs the affairs of men, who raises up kings, who raises up kingdoms, and also tears them down, and holds mankind's breath, very breath, in his hands, so much so that he says, it is appointed unto man one time to die and then judgment. That he knew you before you were you. That he's intimately acquainted. When you get to the place, when a nation gets to the place to where God becomes secondary or worse, 
then God, because he's God, has no choice but to take that nation, that person, down, because they will take others with them. You have not glorified. And then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this is the writing that was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Meanie, meanie, tekel, upharsin. He said, here's four simple words that describes where you're headed, Belshazzar. Back in verse 14, we know that Belshazzar, in essence, said, it's very obvious Daniel, that there's something different about you, that the spirit of the God or spirit of God or spirit of the living God is in you, is upon you. There's something different about you. So much so that Daniel now is is interpreting this dream. And so he knows and is actually bearing witness to the fact that what Daniel is going to say will be true. And so he says four words, repeats one. There's really only three words. And so what I believe this is saying is, as he repeats the history of his father Nebuchadnezzar, and he says to Belshazzar, guess what? You're wrong. Remember how the queen had tried to placate Belshazzar? Oh, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it too much. Family of God, that is why I preach the way I preach about these issues that are clear in Scripture. Because I don't ever want to stand before God and say, Jeff, why didn't you tell them the truth? You heard it. You knew it. You should have told them. That's why I do it. That's why I have no choice but to do it. You see, when you know the truth and you won't tell people the truth, you're actually worse than an unbeliever. Because now you're driving people to believe that what you believe is truth. And what you're saying to them is, I know the truth, but I'm going to tell you something else. That's the epitome of someone who hates. No, it's okay. Go ahead and run across the road. I know you won't get killed. After all, it's Sunday on a snow. You know, after a good snow, and it's 4.30, and, you know, I'm pretty sure you can make it across the road. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, in fact, the cars are going by at 60 miles an hour. Just walk out there blindly. They'll stop for you. That's what happens when the church is silent. We know the road's full of traffic. We know somebody's going to die. We know that there's, there's absolutely a reason to be completely uh, aware of that situation, and yet we're going, ah, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. You know, God will work it all out in the end. Have you ever thought about our responsibility if God doesn't work it all out in the end because he told us what he wanted us to do beforehand? And that's where these passages come in. God's spoken. There are an awful lot of issues that we already know the truth on. We are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's pray that we don't lead people to be Belshazzars. Daniel offered 
this interpretation, and he refused the reward. In essence, he said, keep your gifts. I don't want them. I can't be bribed. Man, that's where the church ought to be. You keep your gifts. I can't be bribed. You want to take away the tax exemption? Take it away. You want to you want to take take it, but I'm not denying the Lord, and I'm not going to teach falsehood. I'm not going to interpret this the way you want it. I'm not going to become a liberal theologian that just tells you what you want to hear. I won't do it. No pastor should do it. No church should do it. And the church in general shouldn't do it. And no country whose founding has been in the Lord should do it. We know the truth. We know where the road goes. Because all of these kingdoms, this is why the book of Daniel is so important, starts with the Babylonians, the head of gold. It's going to move on to the very next group of people that we're going to see here in just a little bit. The Medes and the Persians. It's then going to go to the Greeks. And then it's going to go to the Romans. And then it's going to go to the revived Roman Empire. And every last one of those empires is going to do the same dumb thing. They're initially going to have the blessing because God raises up kings and kingdoms. Amen? And God's going to give them a chance to either stand for him or against him. And they will choose one kingdom after another to simply stand against God. And God says, okay, you're done. over finished gave you time before the night was over those gifts that Belshazzar were offering would be absolutely worthless because there would be no Babylonian empire like that it's gone and so in this sermon Daniel says Nebuchadnezzar really was progressing in the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar was given to the people by God. Nebuchadnezzar's pride was his downfall, and then he repented of that, and, 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 but it cost him. His throne was still taken away. Family of God, you, you don't want to mess with the Lord. You just don't. It's not a good thing. You, you never know when God's had enough. I don't know. I've, had, I've been asked some crazy questions in my time in ministry. You know, well, you know, uh, God's let me do it so far. You know, didn't send down a lightning bolt from heaven and kill me, so it must be okay. No, that's just God's mercy. That's... That, that could be him simply being uh, providentially caring. It's all kinds of things. Never mistake the plain teaching of God's Word and, and your abuse of it for God's approval. Amen? And so when this shifts over in the middle of this sermon in verse 22, all of the points that were about Nebuchadnezzar were pointed to Belshazzar. He says, your dad knew this stuff and I know you were taught better. You ever wondered why I, why I say things like that from the pulpit? I know you know. I know you've been taught better. Because you have. You guys are not a bunch of babes in the Lord. Most of you have walked with the Lord for a while. And you know the truth. 
And we who know the truth have a responsibility to live in the truth. And in spite of that, Belshazzar didn't humble himself. He he didn't profit by God's gentleness and tenderness and mercy in his own father's life. Man, what a tragedy that is when God is tender and merciful and kind in somebody's life whom we know and we can see it and we know God did it and we don't learn a thing from it. I can't tell you how many people that, that I know personally that applies to. They've seen it. I have one parent that's like that. My brother, my sister, love the Lord Jesus. I love the Lord. It's pretty much all we talk about when we get together. My mom's rejected that truth, and yet she's seen it alive in all three of her kids. We keep praying. It's like, Lord, how can she miss? We're telling her, you know what? God did this. The Lord's responsible for the change in, in, in our lives. He's the reason we live. He's the reason we exist. Are, are we faithful to say those things? We need to be faithful to say those things. Because you are Nebuchadnezzar's on this earth. You're changed lives. You're transformed lives. In essence, the day of reckoning had arrived. Verse 26, For this is the interpretation of each word. Pretty simple. Remember, these words are Aramaic words. They're going to now be translated for us. Meaning, and it's interesting that that word is used twice. Your kingdom is numbered. And it's finished. That's a literal rendering of it. Your kingdom is numbered and it's finished. And he says it twice. Meaning, meaning. Numbered, numbered. Your number's up, is what he's saying. Time is up. It's done. God is done dealing with you. It's over. This is one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. Because it says, in spite of a powerful witness in somebody's life, in spite of God's mighty hand of blessing, in spite of God doing everything He can to reach into the life of a people, ultimately an entire nation, people would still choose to reject the truth. And God comes along and says, you can only do that so long. That's why I share with you. When, when you have that person in your life and you don't know where they are with the Lord, then the one thing they need to know is where you stand with the Lord. Always. If they don't remember another thing, perhaps on their deathbed, they will remember that you glorified the Lord. Perhaps when they're meeting the Lord Jesus. Because everybody's days are numbered. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know how long any of you are going to be here. I don't know how long we're going to be here. Don't know how long the United States of America is going to exist. I don't know when the end of the world is. 
So as a Christian, my obligation is to know that always and forever, everyone's days are numbered. And only God knows when the last day is. And so he says, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. That's what many means. Tackle. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And this refers back to the witness that had been presented to him. You see, God, and I want to draw your attention to this, God would be completely unjust and completely unfair if there had never been any witness in Belshazzar's life. Now, how God does this to every single living, breathing soul is between God and God. Between God the Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son. But I know what we've been called to do, and that is to bear witness that Jesus Christ is alive in us. So that we add one more fact to that sermon. In other words, it could have been Nebuchadnezzar, and then millions of other people's lives could have been listed after it. No, and by the way, Jeff used to be a drunk. But he's not anymore. He hasn't been for a long time. Because he met Jesus. And he repented. And he said, yes, to the grace of God. You see, then people start to lose their excuse. Belshazzar had no excuses left. You have been weighed in the balances. In other words, God put all of this evidence, all of these people's lives... This incredible work that he did in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar was over here on the scales. And he says, Belshazzar, here's your life. You knew all these things. And you won't yield to it. And because of your position, and because I love people, and because of what you will do to them, your days are over. This is one of those passages that I take people who are in open rebellion to God to. And I sit down with them. And I say, are you a king? Are you a queen? Do you have a kingdom? Are you so unbelievably anointed and wealthy and control your own destiny that you're outside of the hands of God? And I will usually say to him, I said, you know what? Here's a guy who had an opportunity to affect the lives of millions of people. And he says, I won't do it. And God says, because I don't want you in that position, I will take you out to save them. And I will usually say something like, God has that option available for all of us. How many people's lives has God said, no, I'm not going to let him destroy another person? Gone like that. I'm not going to let them continue to blaspheme my name because they're dragging people down. Gone like that. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And he shortens it now from Euphorson to Perez. It's the same exact word. It's just in a singular form. For your kingdom has been divided. He said, you don't even have what you have. It's actually mine, and I will do with it as I please. Your kingdom's going to be divided up and given to the Medes and the Persians. You talk about holy boldness. 
You, you, you can just see that the, the countenance of Belshazzar just crumble. These four little words, divine judgment, is pronounced against him. He says, you didn't want to listen? You want to take other people down? I'll take you out. And of course, that's what he does. God numbered the days of his reign and brought it to an end. Indicates that Belshazzar and Babylon's numbers are, it's over, it's up, it's done. One of those things, when I, when I think about where we are as a people, when I think of the fact that we can, we can put up pornographic billboards, let's be blunt, let's be honest, we can put up pornographic billboards that are, that are just shy of actual pornography, but we cannot put up a nativity scene. Think about it. We can put filth on the Internet to the tune of, of one-third of the entire Internet being occupied by it, but you can't put up the Ten Commandments in a courthouse. You can shout every vile, despicable, putrid thing you ever can think of from your lips in the public square, but if you are convincing someone that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's hate speech. Wonder when the day's up. Wonder when the time is numbered. Wonder when God's going to say, what more could I have done? There's never been a time in our nation's history that we should be more engaged in speaking the truth, in love, by the way, but the truth in love. Not political correctness in love, truth in love. And standing for what God has stood for for millennia, the now. Because I don't want to be guilty of having tape over my mouth when the Lord says, why? Why? The empire's existence was perfectly timed. It was not left to chance, and God had it exactly in view. The king was weighed. He was found lacking in anything that resembled righteousness. I think as long as there is hope, God is merciful and gracious and kind. But when there's no hope, I also think that God is then merciful and gracious and kind to those who remain by removing those who place no hope in the Lord. Your kingdom is going to be divided and given away. You know, God's scales are perfectly accurate. And he knows when they're loaded up, and he knows when the balance is tipped, and he knows when it's time to do these things. We don't. So our position as the body of Christ is to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that nobody gets the wrong impression about God. Not that difficult to understand. And yet sometimes we, we make it difficult, don't we? Well, you know, I don't want to offend them. Family of God, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That it's a greater offense to not speak the truth in love 
Love is not real love when it's absent the truth. Amen? That's the truth. The truth is it's not real love when it's absent of truth. You must have the truth in love. So you you can't tell people what they want to hear. You can't tell them what makes them feel good. You have to tell them the truth, but tell them lovingly. God was done. Grace had ended. The last drop of spit from Belshazzar's mouth had come out. He'd say, God, I don't want you. And God says, if that's what you want, then to spare an awful lot of other innocent people, you're done. And your kingdom's done because your kingdom has stood against me as well. Exactly as chapter 2 pointed out to us, that head of gold had its days numbered and they were over. It is a bad thing. And in this picture that's, that's before our eyes, basically he had challenged God. That is a very unwise thing for anybody to ever do. God, I'm going to challenge your grace. I'm going to challenge your mercy. I'm going to challenge your character. I'm going to challenge whether you're real or not. That's a scary, scary thing when you think about it. You ever met somebody who's so convinced of their own lie that they believe it? I have. I've met people who are absolutely convinced of their own lies and they believe them. That's a fright. That is worse than being completely out of your mind crazy, just debauched as a human being. Because at least when you're just nuts and out of your mind doing dumb things, there's still hope. But when you believe lies that you yourself have told, you're in a place where God no longer can get to your heart because you're not even listening for the truth. You're listening for the lie. You're looking for that lie to be confirmed. We should never challenge God's patience. This is the very last night for this nation and for this king. And there is a very last night for every last one of us. And for every nation, every country, and every kingdom. And I think it behooves us to take the warnings that God has even given to the nation Israel. In, in Amos chapter 4, it says, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He says through the prophet Amos, he says, You can either do things my way, or I will show you who I am. I don't want God to have to do that. I've seen enough of God's hand in my life to believe that he says what he means and means what he says. And so the events unfold. And then Belshazzar gave the command. And they clothed Daniel, verse 29 says, in purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What a crazy thing. You know, I honestly think this just shows us exactly how deep the deception is in Belshazzar's mind and his heart. Daniel has said, you've been weighed, you've been found wanting, and your kingdom's going to be given away to the Medes and the Persians. So at that point in time, there was still hope, I believe. But the king, notice, doesn't believe it. And so he says, here's what I promised you, and I'm going to make you third in my kingdom. 
Daniel just told him, your kingdom's done. It's over. You don't have a kingdom. There's no third. There's no second. There's no first. You can't give me anything. It doesn't belong to you anymore. God's already said enough already. That's how blind people can get. Here, man, share this keg with me. You know, man, it's, you know, we've got, we've got all, all day to, you know, to get sober. God says no. He says, no, you don't. I'll change tomorrow, is the picture. I'll repent later, is what's in view. I'll believe God when something really bad happens, or when I'm too old to really enjoy sin anymore. Man, what a dangerous place to be in. How much stuff is on the scale of the Lord Already sitting there going, Jeff, you should know better. Church, you should know better. America, you should know better. And that very night, verse 30 says, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. When God pulls your ticket... God has pulled your ticket. No amount of cajoling and maneuvering and posturing and bloviating and, you know, trying to prove otherwise is going to negate what God has already decided. Don't put yourself in that place. I pray that we don't put ourselves in that place. It's interesting because you can you can see the contrast between Daniel and Belshazzar. Daniel's lived in captivity for 65 years and he's still serving the Lord. Daniel's lived in this roller coaster of being in captivity in a foreign land and he's still serving the Lord. Daniel's in that time of life where, you know, he ought to be, you know, down there at the Babylonian country club whacking the little white ball and drinking Arnold Palmer iced teas or whatever. Daniel is in that time when we all think about, we'll just slow down. And he's still bold enough to say, you know what, King? Boy, I sure wish I hadn't made that choice. Because it's over. Holy boldness all the way to the end. And for that, Revelation chapter 3 tells us there is a, there's a reward to those who overcome. I ask us the question, are we overcomers? Because as far as the Bible is concerned, we are. And if we are, we ought to be. We should be in that place to where our lives are so different than people in the world. And I'm not talking about being out of the world, because you're in the world. You're just not supposed to be of the world. And being not of the world causes us to stand out. We should be affecting our culture, not being affected by our culture. We should be salt and light, not being buried underneath the the sewage of the darkness that is what's going on in our world today. I ask us that question. Because there's, there's a difference here in how these two men approached The same God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance.
That's God's heart. That's God's promise. To as many as received him, to them he gave the the opportunity to become the sons of God. To all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. You, You see, from God's perspective, he offered the same thing to Daniel that he offered to Belshazzar, that he offered to Nebuchadnezzar, that he's offered to you, that he's offered to me. He's always treated everybody with the same absolute mercy and grace initially to say, you know what, I I know your life's been tough. I made you. I know you've gone through hard things. I was with you in those hard things. But I also know I'm bigger than those hard things. And if you turn, if you repent, then the reward of the overcomer is yours, is mine, is ours. But if you don't, then your days are truly numbered. And whether it's you or whether it's me or us as a church or this community or a nation or a world, the same truth applies to all. You don't want to stir God in the face. You don't want to have that witness to where he's spoken loudly and clearly and definitively and say, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. And oh, by the way, Bring me God's things so I can party with them. I can spit in them. I can use them any way I want because I don't care about God. God help the person that does that. God help the nation that does that. As history would record, record the third month on the Babylonian calendar on October 29th, 539, uh, recorded very exactly in the Nabonidus Chronicles they talked to you about last week. The exact day is named that Cyrus comes into Babylon and it declares that Belshazzar died that very night. It's historical truth recorded by the great historian Herodotus. God knows what he's doing. God says what he means. He means what he says. There are four lines that I see in this chapter, and I want to wrap up with this tonight. And God draws them, I believe, in every person's life. I believe God draws these lines in nations' lives, in kings' lives. I believe these same lines are drawn. Number one line, there is a line for God's patience. God is enduringly patient. He is long-suffering. Scripture goes so far as to declare he is not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering in that. He has immense patience, way more patience than I do. But there is a deadline for his patience. The second line that I see is God has a line against blasphemy. The open rebellion of his creation, you and me, to his holiness and his character. Again, very long-suffering, goes a long ways, but there's a line, and you can't go over it. I can't go over it. A nation can't go over it. He's patient. That's one line. There's a line that says, this is my holiness. You can't cross over this line. This is my patience. You can't cross over this line. 
as Benjamin Netanyahu was, was saying yesterday, talking about a line, a timeline for when Israel should be able to, to strike Iran. He said, what line? What time? Do we wait until we are no more? When the mushroom cloud rises up over Tel Aviv, is that when we're supposed to strike Iran? Now imagine, that is a monumentally serious situation, which I believe the Israelis have every right to go and defend themselves, because the nation, Iran, has said, we will push you into the sea, we will wipe you from the face of the earth, we will and want to do it. Now imagine if that's just two nations, how do you think God feels? when kings and kingdoms rise up and say, we don't even think you exist. We don't, not only are not going to serve you, but we don't even care what you think. Matter of fact, we're going to try and destroy you. We're going to defame your word. We're going to castigate your people. We're going to persecute them wherever we find them. How do you think God feels? There's a third line, and that's the line of God's judgment. God says, my patience is here, my character is here, and my judgment is here. And you can't cross over that judgment. When you do, you've sealed your own fate. And a fourth line, and that's the finish line. You see, God says, my patience is here. My character is here. My justice and my judgment are here. And the finish line is here. And woe unto people who ignore it. Because we're all going to reach the finish line. The question is, will we have reached the finish line over his line of patience? Over his line of blasphemy? Over his line of judgment? over his line of justice. Will we reach the finish line for him or against him? That's why Scripture says, choose to stay whom you will serve. Joshua 24. Choose. Belshazzar said, I'm choosing wine. I'm choosing the gods of silver and gold. I'm choosing my concubines. I'm choosing the flesh, the world, and the devil. He crossed all those lines in one night. God says, that's it. It is true that God be for us, who can be against us? But who can be for us if God is against us? You ever thought of that, the reverse of it? What army you got that's going to beat the Most High God? What group of people are ultimately going to win the, the conquest to try and make God irrelevant. I say to you, you don't want to cross God's lines. The king believed he was safe, believed he was well protected, believed he was in the midst of his own holy place, if you will. He said, here's my God. My God is the God of gold and silver and booze and women. That's my God. Think about this. Pretty much the same gods that people seek after today. Amen? That's my God. And God says you're going to meet your God. 
because those are the minions of Satan himself. You want to spend eternity with him? That's your choice. Sir John Glubb said in his book, The Fate of Empires and Search for Survival, he identified seven cycles that, that happened in the, in the nation and in every nation. And if you look back on human history, you'll certainly see these things. There's an age of outburst. That's when the pioneers just move out and they make something new. There's an age of conquest where they have started, they've gone out, but now they're going to conquer large territory. There's an age of commerce where the economy grows and all of those kind of things. There then is an age of affluence where the affluence spreads out to a multitude of people. And the reason I'm telling you this is you can see very clearly that these things are, are cyclical through history. There's then an age of intellect where the mind becomes preeminent. And then there's an age of decadence where everything is game. And finally, there's an age of dec- decline and collapse. Think about where the United States is. I'd say we're between six and seven. It's happened to every culture that has ever existed. Another great book by Edward Gibbon, probably many of you have read it, The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. There were five things that he pointed out in that book about the Romans. Greatest civilization to ever exist on the face of the earth, other than perhaps us. They were the rapid increase of divorce, the craze for pleasure, specifically homosexuality, the building of gigantic armaments and armies, and the propagation of violence, and finally, the decline of religion. Rise, then fall. Family of God, we need to pray that we are not living in a nation of Belshazzars and do everything we can to make sure that people know there is a one true and living God. And that God loves him. And he sent Jesus into this world that the world through him might be saved. That's our goal and that's our task. I pray we take it to heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these passages of Scripture that just are so powerful, Lord, that help us to be able to see so clearly the, the, the cycles that mankind has gone through, and Lord, to see the dangers ahead. And so we do pray, Lord, for our own selves, God, for our own lives, that what we do and what we say would count for you. And Lord, I pray God, that there's no one here that's under condemnation, but rather encouraged and strengthened, motivated, Lord, to just simply be about your business in these last days. Help us to stand firm and stand strong. Lord, as the world pushes, let us push back even harder. As, as we're asked to bow, help us to stand. God, as the world changes around us, help us to change the world around us. We thank you, Lord, for the, the beauty of your word. Lord, for the challenge of your word. For the sanctity of your word. We pray that you'd make us saints who are, are ready for battle. God, wherever we find ourselves, would your name be on our lips? Would we be unashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe.
We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this night. Use us, God. Spare our country once again. Bring revival. Cause our leaders to fall on their face before the one true God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.